Good morning, and welcome to episode 174 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus in New York, New York. Oh no, I said it. I said where I am. Uh, I'm Ben Lindbergh. In an undisclosed location is Sam Miller. Uh, Lead with the email address, Ben. Lead with the email address. Oh, okay. All right. Our email address is podcast at baseballperspectus.com. If we were any other podcast, this is when we would tell you to rate and review us on iTunes and tell you where you can follow us on Twitter and all of those things. And we would talk about the Facebook group that we do not have. Uh, it's been 74 episodes since we plugged Yeah, I feel like every now ratings. and then. Because I look at how many iTunes reviews and ratings we have, and it is a very, very small fraction of the people who listen to us every day. And I feel like maybe a few more of those people could could just go over there and, you know, tell people about us. So, yeah, uh, that would be nice if you could do that. Um, so we are going to continue our confirmation bias week. We're going to talk about some things that have happened that maybe we expected to happen. Uh, and so they seem to assume some added significance because they are the first thing that we are seeing certain players and teams do. Uh, so do you want to lead off with one? Yeah, should we, I mean, should we have some sort of disclaimer that we recognize that what we're doing is just confirmation bias and that we don't necessarily think that there is anything actually significant yeah. about this stuff? I mean, sure. okay, good. Um, I mean, so, maybe there is in some cases. We'll see. Yeah, but that's the point, is that there's not, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the point is that some things there will be and some things there won't be, but there's not like a systematic way that these first few days are more significant. That's yeah. like the entire point of the phrase. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, so I wanted to mention the Royals, um, who are kind of losing in exactly the way that people predicted they would lose after they made their big we're going to win trade. Um, they got a really good start out of James Shields yesterday. Yesterday, maybe Monday. I don't know what day it is. Um, and they still lost one to nothing. And one of the reasons that they lost one to nothing is because with two on in the seventh, down by one, Jeff Francoeur instead of Will Myers came to the plate and grounded into a double play. Later on, Jeff Francoeur instead of Will Myers made the final out of the game, trailing by one. Today, down by two in the seventh with two on and nobody out. Jeff Francoeur <laughs> struck out. And to end the game, Jeff Francoeur. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, I mean, you've got to feel kind of bad for Dayton Moore in the sense that he really wanted to have a credible opening day starter. And he got a credible opening day start by a famous man. And it didn't work out for him. Um, and he should, I mean, the, clearly the team that he has put together is capable of scoring two runs in a game. So it is not as though uh, a one nothing loss on opening day represents any sort of failure, um, failure of vision on his part or mm -hmm. anything like that. But um, there is thus far through a whopping 18 innings, there is thus far no indication that all of his players are breaking out as one. Uh, and Jeff Francoeur is still prominently visible. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know if that's... that's con I mean, we know what Jeff Francoeur is at this point, so we're we don't not... Know exact well, we don't know exactly what he is. Yeah, it was a five... No. no, well, I mean, he had a five-win swing from 2011 to 2012, yeah, so we don't exactly know what he is. Defense 
which who knows? Uh, yeah. I mean, we know that he is in some seasons, according to stats, very, very bad, and in other seasons, not so bad, but not good. So he is he's one of those things, I guess. He is batting eighth. I didn't think to look this up beforehand, but I would imagine that this is something close to a new experience for him. Sorry to the people who hate me typing. I'm going to type for a second because uh, I'm going to look up and see how often he started in the eighth spot in his career. Okay. Um, you, can, you can talk, though. You can go on if you want. Okay. Uh, well, I don't want to switch topics if you're you're going to come back with Jeff Francois' batting order history. Uh-huh. Okay, well, here we go then. He started... Uh, 32 times in the eighth spot in his career, uh, 17 of them in 2010, which I presume is his last year as a Brave. Uh, he is actually he had never started in the eighth spot as a Royal before mm. opening day. So That's interesting. They've lost faith in him to some degree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another thing that happened yesterday, if you're listening to this Thursday, Roy Halladay made his first start. Uh, he did not last very long. He he threw 95 pitches, but he made it through, I think, three and a third. Uh, Excuse me. Yes. Pardon me. I, I have to correct myself. Not the last year as a Brave. It was actually the, his last year as a Met, as well as his lone 15 games as a as a Ranger. Okay. All right. Now you can go on. Uh, so Halliday gave up five earned runs, six hits, three walks, was pulled with one out in the fourth, uh, so that was kind of confirmation bias because we have been hearing about his ugly, his, how ugly his spring was. We talked about it on the podcast, uh, not too long ago and kind of wasn't maybe because he did strike out nine guys, which is his ex strange, was spectacular, <laughs> right? Really strange line to go three and a third and strike out nine, uh, and he- give up all those runs and hits and walks um, yeah he doesn't he doesn't have a line remotely like that in his career yeah is as i'm looking at it uh the closest thing would be probably once when he went well actually no that is not uh yeah go ahead oh yeah so okay he the, there was a game he struck out eight in four and two thirds and was otherwise hit hard walked three gave up a home run five runs allowed and that was in 1999 when he was terrible. So otherwise, nothing remotely like this. So he did miss bats, and he didn't. Uh, he threw fairly hard. I'm just looking at the the Brooks numbers and what is classified, at least, as his two seam fastball. Uh, well, I mean, it, it averaged about 90 ish, um, and then his his what is classified as a cutter was sort of 88 ish. So not good, not encouraging, really, um, but not quite the the horror stories that we were hearing in spring training where he was throwing mid-80s, and clearly he was getting guys to swing and miss a bit. I don't know how many of those strikeouts were swinging, Um, but, you know, if you were worried about Roy Halladay this spring or based on the end of last season and, and what we had heard of the beginning of this season, then... Surely you are even more worried now because of that first start. Yeah. Uh, So you started by saying that it was a kind of ambiguous start, but you're now ending by saying that it's not an ambiguous start? Uh, 
I guess I'm saying that the strikeouts are kind of encouraging. Uh, I don't know. The velocity would you the velocity would you call not encouraging? Would that would that be discouraging? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I'm looking at let's see. So at the end of last season, uh, Brooks has his sinker at like 91 and his cutter at 90. So. And it's it's April. It's his first start of the season, so we wouldn't necessarily expect his velocity to be in in midseason form. But does seem to have lost a little bit from the end of last year. If you compare it to the beginning of last year, uh, well, his velocity didn't really change throughout last year. So if you compare it to last April, it, it still seems to be slower. So yeah, I mean, I guess that is worrisome. So whose who's start is uh, more encouraging, I guess, uh, Halliday or Tim Linscom, who w- was just pulled after five innings, so we can close the book on him, and he did not allow an earned run. Uh-huh. So in that sense, everybody will give him high fives, but he in five innings he walked seven, hmm. struck out four, uh, and I watched most of that game so far, and he's been all over the place within the strike zone. He basically hasn't hit a target. And all day. Uh, when I've been looking, when I remember to look, mm. it's been about 91, 92. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess we were both pretty, well, I don't know, you were, you were sort of optimistic. You, you picked him as, as like a Cy Young candidate, right? I don't know whether that was kind of just a jokey pick or a serious pick. Um, but we, when we talked about them, a couple of weeks ago were discouraged, or at least I was, and was not expecting big things. Uh, so I guess I'm I'm just equally discouraged now. Nothing about those starts uh, makes me change my valuation. For either of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am probably a little less bullish on Linscombe at this point, and I was pretty much off the Halliday uh, train at this point mm-hmm. sad to say all right uh another one and maybe we we probably should have gone in chronological order but the the u darvish start uh on tuesday which was of course uh one out away from a perfect game extremely impressive start and the bp staff picked him as as the number two Cy young pick pakoda i think projected him as the second most valuable american league pitcher so he came out and in his first start looked great, uh, but he was also facing the Astros. And then on Wednesday, we saw Alexi Ugando and, and all of the Rangers look really good against the Astros and strike out 15 Astros instead of 14 Astros. So uh, now we maybe kind of wonder whether it's just an Astros thing and everyone who pitches against the Astros looks great. But... I think Darvish was really, really good, uh, regardless of, of whom he was facing. He actually, the hardest pitch he threw in that start was harder than the hardest pitch he threw last year. Uh, and he actually had more movement on one pitch than he had on any one pitch last year. So huh. it seemed sort of as if he brought better stuff to the game and and he had actually his velocity had ticked up during the the spring also so it's certainly encouraging that he is throwing hard early in the season when pitchers do not throw hard 
uh, and he didn't walk anyone, which was the first time he had ever not walked someone in a regular season start. So that was encouraging, I think, and, and I was expecting big things from him, and then seeing that kind of confirmed my expectation of big things, although uh, having seen the Astros now kind of get dominated two nights in a row, I... I'm not ready to crown him as the leading Cy Young candidate. But everybody gets dominated at some point. I mean, the the Astros, we already knew the Astros were bad. You did not need Alexia Gondo to show you that the Astros are not a great team. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, are, the Astros will score plenty of runs off. I don't know. I, I know what you mean. I'm very, actually, I'm, I'm sort of very, in a way, glad that Darvish didn't throw that perfect game just because... I didn't want to see thousands of tweets about uh, how maybe he should do it against a major league team and et cetera, et cetera, the same sort of tired joke uh, that happens every time somebody throws a perfect game against a bad team because perfect games against bad teams are still pretty good. Um, but yeah, Darvish is maybe uh, has passed Strasburg for um, pitching porn value at this point. And if, He's not past Strasburg. He's definitely number two. Yeah. Uh, Mike and Jason were talking about that. I, I listened to some of the first episode of Fringe Average, the, the new Baseball Perspectives podcast, which you should all listen to if you haven't yet. What's the email for that one, Ben? Uh, man, I don't know. It's not <laughs> podcast at baseballperspectives.com? No, it's not. Oh. Uh, we, no, we wouldn't want to be getting their emails, and they wouldn't want to be getting ours. We can't but process we still we still get up and in emails, though. Occasionally, once in a while. That's the same. Uh-huh. They, I don't know. They have their own. Um, yeah, so they were talking about that and, and which pitchers uh, are worth kind of uh, are worth the price of admission on their own and, and are that entertaining to watch on their own. Uh, and they said Strasburg and Darvish. And that Lincecum used to be, but no longer is. But maybe he's he's interesting to watch now for a different reason, because who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think that Lincecum uh, hasn't been all that interesting to watch since his uh, Game 1 start against the Braves in 2011. Um, but, uh, yeah, Dar- I mean, Darvish is, Darvish is interesting in a whole different way. I mean... Both of them are interesting in different ways, but Strasburg is, I feel like Strasburg is uh, amazing independent of the batter. Like a lot of pitchers, they're great to watch because you get to see these terrible swings, and that's always what Linscombe was. Linscombe would, I mean, he would throw us, you know, his splitter, which was not on its own an interesting pitch, but to see people swing so badly at it made it interesting. And Strasburg, you get the feeling that if you never saw the batter, it would still be incredible. And uh, Darvish is different than both of them, somewhere in the middle, I guess. Um, so, yeah. All right. We done with that? Uh, yeah. You have another? I have uh, one and a half. Uh, Fernando Rodney blew a save today. Mm-hmm. And Fernando Rodney had a 0.60 ERA last year. And uh, if he does that again, then I will um, be a little bit closer to believing that he's not terrible. Um, it's hard for me to get used to Fernando Rodney being good of course, because I watched him closely for a lot of years. But RJ tells me that, uh, well, do you remember last year, RJ, uh, one of RJ's great finds was that Rodney had moved over Mm -hmm. on the mound, on the pitching rubber, and that it gave his, I believe, 
two-seamer and change-up different looks and seem to maybe make a big difference. Um, RJ tells me that he is back on the other side of the rubber this year. Yeah, he IM'd me that earlier. Uh, that's interesting. <laughs> You'd think that a, a guy who made a change and then had an incredible season after being just kind of a, a, a I don't know, league average, not even league average guy would stick with that change. I wonder what prompted that someone should ask him. Yeah, I mean, it's always, I mean, it's always possible that that change didn't mean all that much. Sure. Uh, but maybe it did, and it is interesting, yeah. So I hope somebody will ask him about it. Anyway, Rodney blew the game today, uh, and then he got the win. Um, but, you know, he wasn't horrible. He basically gave up one good hit, and I think he walked one batter. It was sort of like not dominant Rodney, but also not the, the, the worst kind of Rodney. So... I don't know. What do you, if you had to guess, uh, is there like, like, what would you guess is the likelihood that Rodney is not saving games in September? Uh, pretty low. Yeah, it's pretty low, right? Yeah. You pretty much have faith in him at this point. Yeah. I have, I pretty much have faith in him at this point. I would say maybe a like a one in six chance that mm-hmm. he blows it. Yeah. And Which I mean, out. I guess I would say that about any closer. Yeah, not any closer, but most closers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other one, this one is, a um, well, so for, for reasons I won't get into for the last four or five days, I've been, uh, fighting over the question of whether Tommy Malone is good or not. Like I've had to know this uh-huh. for a particular reason and I've been going back and forth and I just couldn't, I mean, you know, like you go back into our archives and read what the prospect guy said about him and it's really, really cruel and unusual, <laughs> even though he had like he had like a 12 to one strike out the walk ratio in triple a and uh you know he struck out more than a batter an inning and only allowed nine home runs all season and everything was there but you know the stuff is fringy he's a lefty with you know mid to high 80s stuff and i just couldn't convince myself one way or the other and i finally decided today that uh i was going to say he's good i was going to accept that he's good and uh he gave up two home runs in the first inning to the mariners Uh which was uh confirmation bias right because i knew he was going to do that i knew that he was going to give up way too many home runs Mm -hmm. to uh you know this this time through the league and you know he just couldn't fool everybody forever and then after that he's been dominant all game in the next six innings i think he's allowed two base runners, struck out four, walked one, and hasn't allowed a run. And now he's going to get a nice little win. So uh, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have not told our, our listeners, I don't think, about your your 2013 scouting initiative. Yeah, it's not necessary. I'll get to it <laughs> okay. maybe sometime. Okay. But I, yeah. Um, okay, I have uh, just a couple of quick ones, I think. Uh, one is Sean Markham. So this is an off the field one. This is not something that is that has happened in a game because Sean Markham is not pitched in a game. He's started on the he started the season on the disabled list, uh, and the Mets don't seem to really know what's wrong with him. He uh, was described as having a shoulder impingement during spring training, and has kind of had some leading shoulder issues in each of the past two spring trainings. So the Mets said it wasn't anything serious. They gave him a cortisone shot. Uh, then he was placed on the disabled list with bicep tendonitis, and now his injury is being described as neck pain, uh, and he's expected to fly. He's in Florida. He's 
flying, I think, as he listened to this to see team doctors and hopefully figure out what's going on there. So I think I have a bias uh, in favor of players who are coming off of injuries. I think this is something that I've had when I used to play fantasy baseball and just generally have. Uh, if a team signs a guy to uh, what seems like a fairly inexpensive deal and that guy's been good in the past and he's coming off an injury, somehow I always seem to think that it's a smart move uh, and that it's going to pay off and that it's low risk and that it's high reward. Um, can I can I speculate that the genesis of this was in 2009 when the Red Sox signed Brad Penny and John Smoltz? Am I am I close? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I, yeah, I guess I liked. I don't know if that was the genesis, but maybe that was that was another time it happened. And there was another. Uh, the the Red Sox also signed uh, either that year or the same year. It was like uh, Wade Wade Miller. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Love that different one. Different year. Love that. Different year. Love that move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember at the time thinking, why didn't the Yankees make that move? Wade Miller, what a great low risk, high reward pickup. I don't know. Yeah. Did he ever pitch for the Red Sox? I mean, if he did, it was briefly and poorly. Um, no, he yeah he pitched ninety one innings with a five ERA or something. So. Poorly. Yeah, so I think I have this uh, this belief, and I had the same thing about Markham when he signed a one-year, $4 million deal. And meanwhile, you know, Kevin Correa was getting two years and $10 million, And I thought, wow, what a great move, Sean Markham, for one, one year and $4 million. But, I mean, there's a reason why Sean Markham signs for one year and $4 million, right? I mean, it, no one has faith that he can stay healthy, and... And he never does. And I, I mean, even I guess even in his seasons when he's injured, he still is generally good when he is on the mound. And maybe for one year and four million, if he pitches 100 innings and has a 3-5 ERA or something, then he's worth it anyway. But I, I don't know. I guess the fact that he has just been injured right off the bat here has kind of made me... Uh, I guess the the opposite of of confirmation bias. I've I've reevaluated my uh, my thinking and my stance on these on these deals for guys coming off of injuries. I'm yeah. going to be less optimistic about them than I have been in the past. I mean, it's really hard to start thinking of examples where this worked. Uh, yeah, it's hard while you're recording a podcast, but they they happen. I think um, they happen a lot the I, other way. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, especially if it's someone like Markham or, or Nick Johnson, who's just year after year after year, uh, if it's just a, a one-time thing or if it's like more of a freak injury or something, but in that case, you're probably not going to get as big a discount anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I guess just Markham struggling and, and Russell Carlton's article about how much a previous pitching injury increases the risk of a subsequent pitching injury I'm just I'm gonna I'm not gonna give up on the 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 coming off of injury guys, but I am not going to be as uh, complimentary of those moves as I have been. All right. Okay. I was gonna okay. talk briefly about the Tigers bullpen, but you're gonna be mad at me. Uh, why don't I take it off the air? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe yeah, maybe tomorrow we'll talk about that or. 
we maybe we can talk about some things that have uh, defied our expectations so far, or maybe we'll actually have an idea for something to talk about. Um, so we will be back with our last show of the week tomorrow.